Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Okay, let's do it. Guys, I'm really excited tonight because we are starting a new series called God's Plan. Come on, God's Plan. And um, it's not based on the song, although my guy Drake did move into Hackney recently. Um, it's not based on him. Unfortunately, we can't play uh, God's Plan because copyright might get us. But um, we are starting a series called this. And um, it's a series going through the book of Ephesians. And I'm really excited because it's one of my favorite New Testament letters. And uh, for the Bible nerds out there, you know that in this book, in this book of Ephesians, there's this idea that Paul keeps coming back to, which is this idea of God's plan, this plan, this purpose, this mystery that God would bring everything together under the authority of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And, and you and I, as Christians, as the church, as Christ's body, we're bang in the middle of this wonderful plan. But what does it actually mean, as Ephesians say, to live in this purpose? What does it actually mean practically in our day-to-day to, day to live in God's plan? Well, over the next three weeks, we as a church across all of our locations, you guys have got me tonight here, sorry about that, but across all of our locations, we will be journeying together through this book of Ephesians, understanding what God's plan is for us. You guys ready for it? Amazing, let's go. Okay, so some of my Bible nerd squad, come on, shout out you guys, I'm part of you, amen. Uh, some of you might be thinking, all right, so Ephesians is six chapters. So how are we gonna do Ephesians in three weeks? How are we gonna fit in this book? Well, it's a good question, and here's the answer. There's a couple Bible scholars who are much more smarter than I am who basically came up with this really simple concept, this really simple concept that the book of Ephesians can be understood and broken down into three words. These three words are sit, walk, and stand. Sit, walk, and stand. Would you say it with me? Sit, walk, and stand. It sounds like we're training a dog, but um, I promise it's a lot more profound than that. Essentially, the concept is this, that in Ephesians, we see that God's plan is that every believer, you and I, would learn to navigate three key relationships, right? The first is this relationship with God in Christ. The second relationship is our relationship with the world. And the third relationship is this relationship or this fight, if you like, against Satan. And these relationships, these three relationships require us to adopt positions which the Apostle Paul calls sitting, walking, and standing. Sitting or being seated in Christ, walking within the world, living out our identity. And thirdly, standing against Satan. And so that's what we're going to study over these next three weeks. God's plan for the church to be seated with Christ, to walk in the world and to stand with Satan. You guys with me? Awesome. So I'm going to kick off tonight uh, by looking at part one, uh, which is this idea of being seated in Jesus. And I figured we'll start with reading the Bible. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So if you've got a Bible or phone, uh, why don't you turn in now? The words will come up on the walls behind me anyway. And we're reading in the NIV version. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of 
the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful reality that we now in Christ Jesus find ourselves seated with him in heavenly places, Lord. God, would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to receive this tonight, God? Could you speak to us afresh? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of the wonderful grace that you have for us? And the church said, amen, amen. So guys, I'm gonna give you the spoiler straight off the bat. I'm gonna give you the big idea for today. And it's this, that the Christian life does not start with walking. It starts with a seat. The Christian life does not start with walking. It starts with a seat. In other words, the Christian life doesn't start with our works or what we can muster up with our willpower. It doesn't start with how many doctrines and how many verses we can memorize. The Christian life doesn't start with our works, our walk, or anything like that. It starts with a seat. It starts with sitting or being seated, rather, in Christ Jesus. Amen? Oh, guys, you're going to have to speak a lot better to me tonight. Amen? Amen. Rachel, love you. Thank you. All right, here we go. And, and this idea of being seated in Jesus is it's this very point that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across in the passage we just read. He's writing to a local church in Ephesus, a very busy, bustling city, kind of like ours. And Paul is writing with every single word and every single sentence, every paragraph he's proclaiming this, that church is Jesus. It's always been Jesus and it always will be Jesus. It starts and ends with him. And we skipped it, but in Ephesians chapter one, he he shares these wonderful promises with us of this incredible account of what God has accomplished for our future, this hope for our future, how much we have inherited because of Jesus. He he shares this wonderful picture, but in Ephesians two, he he, he pauses just a little bit. he, He literally presses pause and he pauses from painting and praying into this picture of a wonderful inherited future and he pauses in order to to kind of step back and revisit our past he he kind of says this that church we've been given every spiritual blessing you can imagine in Christ everything good everything worthy everything wonderful everything praiseworthy has been accomplished in Jesus We have gained it all, he says, but in order for us to understand the privilege of what we get to do, we need to dig a little bit into our past. He says, before I explain the wonderful opportunities we now have in Jesus, I need you to understand the origin we had before Jesus. Because then and only then will we actually get and appreciate 
this thing called grace. So he pivots back into our past so we can get true perspective on grace. He paints a picture, if you like, of grace. And to do this, he starts in Ephesians 2 by saying this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also at one time lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Ouch. Pretty harsh reading. And I guess some of you might be thinking, Tammy, I thought this was meant to be a sermon about being seated in Jesus. I thought this was meant to be a sermon about doing nothing to, to gain our standing and our position in Jesus. I thought this was meant to be a sermon about grace. And, and the thing is, yeah, it is. It is a, it's definitely a sermon about grace. But you see, what Paul wants us to understand in Ephesians, church, is that before we get to the seat, we need to understand our state. Before we get to the seat, we need to understand our state. And that's the first point for us today, if you're making notes, that before we were seated with Jesus, we had a state before or outside of Jesus. And in order for you and me, the church, to be brought, to, be, to appreciate where we have been brought to, we need to understand where we have come from. Does that make sense? And so this is what Paul is trying to unpack in Ephesians chapter 2. I love how one of the great champions of the Christian faith, the late John Stott, put it he said this that what Paul is doing here is painting a vivid picture of what humanity is by nature but also what humanity can become by grace what Paul is doing here is painting a vivid picture of what humanity is by nature but also what we can become by grace amen so what were we by nature Well, if you look at verse one again, it says this, as for you and for me, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. In our transgressions and our sins. And just so you know, Paul is not repeating himself. He's chosen these two specific words very carefully. You see the word transgression, this idea of, of transgression in the original language of Greek, which this letter would have been written in, is this word paratoma, right? And it's a, it's a direct step involving the crossing of a known boundary. It's a direct, active step crossing a known boundary. I remember when I was traveling in South Asia and I kind of got to this border with some friends and um, it was the border between India and Bangladesh. And literally, as we got there, I tell you the truth, it's the most scariest place I've ever been in my life. Because as I got to the border... There were literally, in every single station, these armed guards pointing AKs and all types of guns that I see in Modern Warfare 2, literally at me. And it would have been stupid for me, right, to try and cross the brown you. I, I swear, even at that moment, I, I, was, I was praying. I was, a, I was a fasting Christian. But even then, I was shook because these guns were pointed directly at us. And it would have been really silly, right, for me to try and cross this boundary. It would have been really foolish of me. And this, this is what this word transgression, paratoma, means. It's, it's a known active step in crossing a boundary that you know you shouldn't. A sin, on the other hand, a sin, which is this word harmatia in the Greek language, is, is a missing of the mark. It's a falling short, right? It's, it's where we get kind of archery terms from. 
when an archer is trying to aim at the center of this target and, and it just kind of deviates to the right or, or, or the left. This is where we get the word sin from. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters because these two words together, they, co- they cover the active and the, the passive, on the other hand, ways in which we do wrong. That is to say, our sins of commission and our sins of omission. So the transgression on the, on the one side is this active knowing of doing wrong. We know we shouldn't gossip, but we do. We know we shouldn't be envious of our neighbor's latest job or their relationship or whatever it is, but we are. We know we shouldn't, but we still do it. It's this active thing. But sin, on the other hand, is this passive thing that we fail to do. As James 4.17 says, if anyone knows the good that they should do but doesn't do it, they sin, right? And so these two words together, transgressions and sins, they cover the state in which we find ourselves in. And so before God, Paul is saying that, our state, our state we have is both as active rebels on one hand, crossing these known boundaries, and on the other hand, it's this passive, not doing the things that we should do. Maybe because we're distracted or fear of failure or whatever it might be. Active rebel, rebels and passive letdowns. And as a result, it's a harsh word in a rainy day, right? I, I honestly, I was, right, I was saying to the 11 a.m. earlier, I was riding my bike in in the rain and I was literally like, God, you really got me saying this verse today, right? Thank you. Literally, I was drowning in, in, all, these, in all this rain and I was thinking, I really got to preach on this. But unfortunately, Paul says, I, I need you guys to get this. this. This active and this passive way in which we find ourselves in. You know, the other day I had the, the great privilege of um, hearing this wonderful church leader called Linda Maslin, um, who leads a church called Fountains Church in Bradford. And this church is really new. It's quite, it's quite a young church, but they're very much beginning to see the early signs of breakthrough and people's lives transformed. It's amazing the stories coming out of it. But it, it wasn't always this way because when they moved into the church in November 2019, uh, the, the church building that they bought was actually... Uh, old nightclub, an abandoned nightclub. And when they moved into this abandoned nightclub in Bradford, a city that's been described as literally the, the worst place in some polls to live in the UK, the most, the most dangerous place to live, they moved into this abandoned warehouse, this abandoned nightclub, and it was filled with every type of evil you can imagine. Linda actually said to me that they knew when they got this building that people, young women in fact, had been trafficked out of this place. There were needles and bin bags full of all types of evils in this place. And as you can imagine, this team is like, wow, what have we got ourselves into? But eventually they gradually begin to clear out all these bin bags and all these needles and all these things that represent the low state of humanity. And just about as they clean out all this rubbish, they get to kind of the, one of the corners, one of the rooms that they haven't entered into, and they go into this room, and there's a table. And this table is just overflowing with fallenness. All the things that represent how low we can get as people. You can imagine the, the used drugs and, the, and the, the needles and all these things on this table that represent the low state that we get to. And, and Linda said that it was at that moment that her and a young intern that she was with, it just broke down because it's like the Holy Spirit revealed the state that sometimes we can get ourselves into. 
And as she was telling me this story, I, I kind of started thinking of this sermon I was about to preach, and it, it, it made sense to me how similar this situation they found themselves in is similar to ours spiritually. That all of us are in this mess, alienated away from God, away from his will, in this low state, in a world that presents us with every type of thing that we can imagine. This low state of knowing that we do wrong, but not being able to passively go past it. And Paul wants us to understand this, to really understand this, that we are in dire need. Hey guys, have you ever had um, that, that kind of conversation where someone's saying something really nice and really complimentary, not like I am right now, uh, but someone's saying something really nice to you, I don't know, maybe it's a boss at work or something, and they're, they're saying, you know, they're complimenting you, you know, I really love the project that you did the other day, and the Excel spreadsheet, and you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, I know what's coming, there, there's a but coming, right? They're about to basically tell me, it's just this, that kind of HR tactic where they puff you up a little bit, and then they bring you down just back to life, and there's a, there's a, there's a but coming in the sentence, and sure enough, it comes. Well, in this passage, right, Paul is doing the exact opposite. Yes, Paul wants us to understand our state and our dire need, but he's doing the exact opposite to the boss at work. Instead, he's telling us all the difficult things of these transgressions and these sins, and he's telling us all the stuff that's really hard to hear, right? He's telling us all this, this state that we find ourselves in. But as he's writing this letter, you can literally feel in the text that there's a buck coming, and this, this, the, the throbbing heart of this writer, of this marvelous letter, finally comes to the point where they wanted to tell you all along, and they're like, guys, but guess what? Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy rich in mercy not lacking in mercy not being dragged into mercy not reluctant in mercy but God who is rich in mercy I wonder whether some of us think that God's mercy is like a byproduct after he's finished being angry with us I wonder whether we see this this idea of God's mercy as this thing that he kind of reluctantly gives over to us once he's finish punishing or finish doing whatever we think we deserve. I, I want to tell you this tonight. Our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is not a tyrant king. He does not delight in these things, but the Bible actually says this. He delights in showing mercy. The Bible also tells us that his mercy triumphs over his judgment. Where judgment rises up here, his mercy triumphs over it to tell you and I that we have a good news story on its way. Amen? And so in verse 5, he comes to this point where he says, guess what? Guess what, guys? That God has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace. Guys, are you getting the weight of this? Paul is saying to us that, yes, we, we willfully sin and rebelled against God and all of us are falling short of the glory of God, but there is still grace. Yes, he's saying that as Isaiah said that our righteousness is as filthy rags sometimes, but guess what? There is still grace. He's saying that even though you don't pray as long as you think you should pray or maybe because you don't read your Bible as long as you think you should or you stop that Bible reading plan, there is still grace. Even when you're struggling with your mental health because of work or because of school or whatever it is there is still grace can someone say there is still grace there is still grace and this is what Paul is saying to us that even despite all the mess that we find ourselves in God can still work a miracle even when we find ourselves up to here trudging through the dirt 
there is still grace on the other hand. And verse six tells us that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Yes, we had a state, but we now have a seat. Amen? We now have a seat. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so what now? What do we do with this? Well, before we try and do anything else, we learn to sit in the grace of Jesus Christ. And for us, this is perhaps one of the most difficult things to do, right? Because we are literally hardwired as humans to try and figure out a way to make ourselves good before God. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we, we search for fig leaves. We can literally go and see, see ways in which we can cover up ourselves before God. And God literally says, where are you? Would you come? Would you come? We, we, we convince ourselves that grace can't really be that good. We must learn to do stuff to get God's love, especially in this Western hustle-orientated age where the modern millennial, the Gen Z, is now told that adulting or adulthood is a series of actions rather than a state of being. We're told that we must do, 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 do to be, 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 be. But grace says to us that on the backdrop of all this hustle and all this productivity to make ourselves presentable before God, Paul is saying that he wants us to understand that God's love is the starting place and the finishing line. Amen? That it's love that led us here. The love that we thought could not exist. His love is sure in the very ground that we are standing on, that we are sitting on. His love leads us. It was never you. It was never you. And I wonder as I come into land in here, I wonder what our lives would look like if we truly began to believe this. What would our morning look like if we truly began to wake up with a personal sense of security? But before we do anything else, before we go to work, before we tick off our to-do list, before we do that project that we've been longing to do, before we do anything else that we are secured in Jesus Christ, what would it look like to, if we spent more time looking at him than looking at us? What would our mornings look like when we wake up and before we have our quiet time and put on that Bethel instrumental? What would it look like? Come on, guys, I know how it goes. What would it look like to spend time with Jesus and to say, actually, before I do anything, I know that I am secure in him. My personal security does not come from how many Bible plans I finish on the Bible app. I finished one in the past seven years. Pray for me. <laughs> But what would it look like, guys, to rest in grace? Would it change our outlook on the world? Would it change the way that we carry ourselves when we come into church? Would we scrap those ideas that say, oh, you didn't pray today, uh, you're, not, you're not good enough? Will we stop those ideas, oh, maybe you didn't attend church last week because you weren't feeling too great and now you came in, who do you think you are? Would we say silence to those lies and those accusations? Would it change the way that we operate in our workplaces? I think it would. I think it really would. I think it would show the world a redemptive story that they would long to know the beginning of. Hey, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as I come into land. And just as they do, I just wanted to, um, I, never, I never shared the end of that story about, about Linda and the church and the table. 
And it's such a beautiful ending because, you see, they had been clearing out this, this old abandoned nightclub, right? And they found this table, as I said, that was just overflowing with all these dark things. And instead of throwing the table out as they did everything else, they kept it. They kept the table and they cleaned it out. It took away all the things that were wrong about it. And that table has now become the table that, that they do communion on, that they break bread on every Sunday as a redemptive act to show the world that, hey, look, this is what Jesus does for you and I. When we were in a corner, when we were full of mere mess and all this stuff, he did not throw us out with the trash, but he redeems us. Amen? That he, he takes what the world would have thrown away and he says to us, I'm going to make you my masterpiece and I'm going to show you off to the world. This is what grace does. This is what grace does. It takes the person who's unworthy and it makes them worthy before God. You know the story of the man on the cross, the, the man on the middle cross that was next to Jesus? I always find that story fascinating because... I often think to myself, what would it look like when he got to heaven? Can you imagine him entering into the courts of heaven and, and the angels welcome him saying, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. But can I ask you a question? How, how did you get here? And could you imagine this, this thief that was on the cross saying, I don't know. I, I, no, I, just, I got here. And the angel kind of ruminating in their mind. But how many, how many verses of the Bible do you know? No. What connect group are you part of? Mm. Did you tithe on Vision Sunday? Mm, no, not really. And eventually, after all these questions and accusations, can you imagine the angels inviting a supervisor over and the supervisor finally saying, okay, sir, can you just explain to me, how is it that you got here? What is your standing for getting here? And I can just hear this thief saying, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's your story. That's my story. That's all of our stories here tonight. And grace says that we can come into his presence. Amen? Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.